Hello, puppets. And you too, you sci-fi fans. Hi, it's Lee Ehrenberg. That's right, Pintel from Pirates of the Caribbean. And you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Rock on, big boy! Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, wherever you are, wherever you are. This is Miles P. McLaughlin. Yes, and welcome, welcome back again to the diner where we're going to feast on some sci-fi goodness tonight. It's all dessert, Miles. It's all dessert. Well, wait till we get to my segment. Oh, and that's just like the cream of the crop. Mm -hmm. And uh, by your segment, for listeners that might be new, we're talking about what? Twist? The twist. The twist. Come on, baby. That'd be great bumper music. Oh, all right, great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I should for the twist. Yes. Uh, but it, the twist, uh, explain it. It is this week in Star Trek. Yes, this week in Star Trek, Miles' new segment. We're going to be playing that a little bit later on in the show. But again, welcome if you're joining us for the first time. And if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for tuning in once again to the diner. We have some good sci-fi news for you. Plenty of clips we'll be playing from both people that have called in. Oh, we have some big news tonight with Legend of the Seeker that just broke today. We're going to yeah. be talking about that. Miles, how has everything been, especially in the sci-fi world? Uh, things have been great in the sci-fi world. I mean, uh, a lot of good stuff happening in our TV shows. We got uh, some some good movies to look forward to this summer. Yeah, some some stuff that we're going to be uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that mm -hmm. tonight. Iron Man two comes out next Friday. We're talking about heading there. I'm very psyched about that. Yes, uh, very psyched. It should be stoked. We're going to see if we can. Uh, Let's see if I can con my wife to come in with me to the to see Robert Downey Jr. See, that's one thing I will not have to do. It won't take much arm twisting at all. She let's just say that he, he's not that objectionable to to her eyes. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see. My wife will be returning from Haiti. She's in Haiti right now, so you can keep her in your thoughts. But she will be uh, returning early early in the week, so she might go. That, might that go. Nice. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are heading to see Iron Man, or you want to comment on any of the things we say tonight, whether it be trivia, whether it be the news stories, and you want to give us your sci-fi five and five, please, please, please call into the show. You can call in at 1-888-508-4343 or call us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. You can call us, right? You can email us there and uh, leave us your thoughts and we'll be happy to speak them, share them on the show. Yep. Well, let's head into the show on the menu tonight, Miles. Again, all dessert. Remember, this is an all dessert menu tonight. Uh, with a little bit of top whipped cream at the end. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, okay. that's a twist. Uh, but tonight's menu, we are serving up a wonderful interview with Lee Arnberg from all three Pirates of the Caribbean movies and Star Trek, and he did other stuff as well. He's quite well known. And uh, 
We are going to be giving away a signed print by him and in our trivia this week, so please tune in for that. Plus, we'll be revealing who won the guild print signed by none other than Felicia Day. Um, Scott, you're, you're, you're oh, that's right. The drool, the drool, <coughs> the drool. Yeah, the drool. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Shore Leave 32. And in news, sad news for Legend of the Seeker followers, we are going to be talking about it. It was canceled. Actually, we aren't. We, Kevin Batchelder is going to be uh, talking a little bit about that cancellation since he knows a little bit more about the show than we do. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about Riverworld because we watched it, or most of it at least. And uh, maybe that tells you something right there. 3D Alien prequels, we are not going to talk about them, but they will be in our show notes. Make sure you check them out. We have a Green Lantern movie in the works, which we have, of course, heard rumors about. Avatar DVD news, of course, it broke tons of records this week. Dayton Ward's new book, Counter-Strike, World at War, is now out as of today. That is April 27th. Miles gives us, this week in Star Trek, what we're calling the twist. We're going to round out the show with Kevin Batchelder from tuning into Sci-Fi TV, giving us his Sci-Fi 5 in 5 top Sci-Fi shows of this season. Cool. So, uh, excellent menu. It's all goodness, all goodness. And I don't think I missed anything in that menu. And if I did, hey, we're going to give it to you for free. There you go. Aren't charging for that at all. Well, let's head into show news to kind of start out the night. Basically, I just want to say this. We have updated our site thanks to Kevin Bouchelder. You're going to hear his name a lot this show. Uh, kind of recommended a WordPress theme. We're still working out the bugs, but... Right now, if you go to our website on your iPhone or iTouch, you should look a little bit better. Nice. So feel free to check it out and give us suggestions, and this show notes will probably be in a proper color for that. Right now, one of the issues we have is the text is white mm-hmm. on a white background. Okay. Difficult to read, Miles. Yes, yeah. even if you have 20-20 vision. Kind of like a polar bear in a snowstorm, right? Yep. Exactly. We are going to be at Shore Leave 32. And I cannot wait. Shore Leave 31 was, was, was a lot of fun, and I anticipate Shore Leave 32 will be just as much fun, if not more. Um, a very impressive guest list uh, if, for BSG fans. Uh, the Admiral Adam himself will be there. Edward James Alamos, uh, Starbuck herself will be there. Katie Sackhoff, um, uh, Tori uh, Higginson from uh, Stargate SG-1, and Alanis will be there. Uh, Kevin Sorbo from uh, Hercules and um, Andromeda is going to be there. Uh, Bill Dow from uh, Stargate, Stargate uh, SG-1 in Atlantis will be there. Uh, two Star Trek alumni, uh, Dominic Keating from Enterprise and Catherine Hicks from uh, Star Trek IV The Voyage Home is going to be there. A, a very impressive list of authors is going to be there, many that you and I have spoken to in the past. And just to let you know, if you're going to be there, pl- uh, let us know. Maybe we get together, do a meetup, uh, get a drink or something. Uh, it be nice to meet, meet uh, listeners uh, face-to-face. Yeah, it'll be great. And, uh, obviously we're hoping to connect with some of our old friends there. Some of the authors and Absolutely. the target guys are going to mm-hmm. be there. We know that already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm hoping that Brown Coat Redemption guys will be there as well. Hopefully yeah. they will, yeah. Yeah. And so, by the way, I have huge props for Shorely because Shorely was the con that I broke my virginity on. <laughs> I mean, my con virginity, just to clarify that. Yes. You know, some people grow up going to cons, you know, as a part of their life, their parents take them and all that. It, my, my, my family did not, it was not a huge con family. And so I came into it obviously fairly, fairly late in life. Mm-hmm. But I certainly enjoy the atmosphere and, uh, it's an, it's this totally interesting scene and it's just a great place to meet like-minded sci-fi geeks. Absolutely. And, uh, so Shore Leave, I have a huge uh, connection with Shore Leave and absolutely, absolutely love it and cannot wait to go back. And this is a fan-run convention. It's, uh, not as big as some of the other ones that are out throughout the country. Uh, but I think there's a nicer, 
there's a little more intimacy with the guests. I mean, you, there's a good chance to get some one-on-one time with them and maybe have, have a conversation with them. And um, I don't know, there's just something special about the fan-run conventions. Yeah, well, it's just a different atmosphere. It's mm-hmm. not, I mean, it's certainly there's there's aspects that are commercial. Absolutely. But it's not near as commercial as if you were going to go to, go to creation or something like that. Right, right. So, um, yeah, or maybe even Comic Con or anything mm-hmm. like that, or Dragon Con. So, sci fi fans, I, I encourage you to support the smaller cons. You won't be yeah. disappointed. And, uh, I mean, they have them all over the, all over the U.S. These are just some in our area that we happen to tap into here. Right. By the way, we mentioned Brown Coat Redemption. I know that Brown Coat Redemption has had some issues with their website being, being hacked. So if you actually are going to the links in our show note or you check out the Brown Coats movie, probably the better way to see the trailers is to actually go to YouTube. Uh, but check in with their site. They're working on restoring it and hopefully it's not so malicious. But in the meantime, they do have a YouTube page. If you just yes. put Brown Coats movie, you can see the trailers. Also, they have a, fa- a Facebook fan page also. Yeah. So well worth it and well worth uh, supporting those guys. We are so excited for when I think I mentioned the last show they were going to be premiering the movie at Comic Con. It's actually Dragon Con where they're premiering the movie, which show which which will be releasing over Labor Day. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to the interview, they of course are releasing it on the web live at the same time they're premiering it down at Dragon Con. So if you're around Labor Day weekend or internet access when they're doing that, well worth checking out. Nice to see something live action within the. Uh um, Firefly Universe. Absolutely, because if you listen to the show long enough, you know that we are avid. And when I say avid, we are fanatical Firefly fans. Absolutely. We absolutely love it. Miles, why don't you take us into our trivia for tonight? Let's go ahead and hit last week's trivia first. Start us off. Okay, our last trivia question was, uh, in Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, Felicia Day's character is called Penny. After she dies... How does the newspaper refer to her? And the answer is? Um, what's her name? What's her name? Yes. We had tons of people write in for this. We could only select one winner, and mm-hmm. so we kind of did it. Well, the way we've been doing it, in case you're curious as to how we're actually selecting it, everyone gets assigned a number, and I make Miles, I blindfold Miles and make him kind of pin the tail on the donkey, so to say. He, uh, he has to choose a number between one and such other, and the one that – Whose number is closest to sign wins the prize. That seems to be the fairest way. At least at this point, especially with the number of entries. I mean, I could print them all out and we could cut them up and put them into a hat, but this is easier. To do it that way. But we're very impressed with the amount of uh, folks that uh, participate in this. Yeah, so thank, you. thank you. We know it's all because you want a piece of Felicia Day. That's understandable. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? Right. I mean, who doesn't? Hey, we got a picture with her. We do. That, that's good enough. Yes. I put my arm around. I'm just kidding. <laughs> My wife will definitely be jealous. Settle down, Scott. Settle down. Settle down. Settle down now. And our winner is, we didn't announce our winner. So our, our winner is Frank Vlasnik. Uh, and that, that is awesome. Yes. Yeah, so we will um, get that picture to you, Frank. Uh, congratulations. Yep. Congratulations, Frank. We'll be mailing them out. I still have the last picture I said we were going to send out. need to send out. So I'm sorry, Susan. I'll get that to you as soon as I can. So it's still sitting here. I just can't let go of Sam Whitmer either. Scott, what are we going to do with you? I know, I know. What is this? Uh, give us this week's trivia question. All right. Well, we thought we'd c- go back to Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars is very rich in uh, trivia uh, material. So the question for this week is, what Star Wars Episode One city was first mentioned in a Timothy Zahn novel? Ah, so you're hoping that some of our listeners are actually readers. 
Yes. Well, and Timothy Zahn's novels are probably some of the most popular novels in the Star, Star Wars universe. I, I would agree. What do they win if they answer this question correctly, Miles? They get a, a very impressive signed Lee Ehrenberg Pirates of the Caribbean print. Yes. And you will have two weeks to answer this question. And uh, so that gives us what? Next week's in May. So the second week of May, by Tuesday, you want to make sure you get that in. Why right when we're probably doing the, the uh, oh, the Dave Williams interview that we'll be doing that night. But if you know the answer, please, please, please email us at the sci-fi donor podcast at gmail.com. They can also call us at 1-888-508-4343. Or you can Twitter us. You can uh, Twitter Miles at Sutter Wharf, mm-hmm. or you can uh, Twitter me at Sci-Fi Diner or Herzog, and we'll get them. And uh, they all make it into the show notes. So some of you tweeted your answers this week. Some of you emailed me your answers, and it's all good. Well, before we head into our news segment, we always like to give props to podcasters that are that are podcasting the same genre stuff that we are, or different stuff in the genre that we sometimes don't hit. Miles. The podcast we have is the Gamma Quadrant. You want to tell us a little bit about the show? Yes, I I do subscribe to the Gamma Quadrant. I'm a huge Star Trek Deep Space Nine fan. And uh, what uh, Seth, Valerie, and Ryan do is uh, they're they're going through the whole show. They're uh, and basically doing a commentary on each um, each episode. Um, I think they're doing a great job um, talking about uh, the writing, uh, the acting, maybe even the costuming. But uh, yeah, they're just. Um, Giving their thoughts on uh, each episode of Deep Space Nine, and um, um, just want to say I really enjoy your guys' podcast. All right, well, and if you are into Star Trek, you may want to check them out. Mm-hmm. Here is the Gamma Quadrant. Ever feel like it is hard to make friends with people from other planets? Tired of other races in the Gamma Quadrant pushing you around? The universe is a dangerous place. The Dominion can help. We offer mediation, protection. Ketracel White provided to every new recruit. Contact us via the iTunes store under the Gamma Quadrant, and one of our Vortas will be happy to send you an application. The Gamma Quadrant is the podcast dedicated to all things Deep Space Nine. Look for us at gammaquadrant.libsyn.com, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N, or under Gamma Quadrant at the iTunes store. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Donner Podcast. We have a ton of good news for you tonight. We're breaking this. If you aren't familiar with the show, we're breaking this into segments. We're going to give you a little bit of TV news to begin. We're going to take you into some movie news, bring you into some DVD news, and then we have some miscellaneous news, a few books and some podcasts we want to talk Mm -hmm. about. And then, of course, Miles is going to give us the twist at the end. So this is our news segment, and we're going to start off with some TV news, and we're going to be starting off with something that was interesting to us. We were fascinated with a good Battlestar Galactica alumni was in this show, and it was Riverworld mm-hmm. on the Sci-Fi Channel. Now, we were excited because, partly because of the cast. Right. I, I don't know about you, but I didn't know much about the story of Riverworld. I, I knew nothing. So. Yeah, so didn't, uh, didn't, I, I have not read the novels. I know that some of you are cringing at that. You're like, you got to read the novels, which are apparently very good. Who is in Riverworld that got us so excited, Miles? Well, you and I being BSG fans. Uh, and Dollhouse fans. And Dollhouse fans. Uh, Tamal Pennicut was uh, in it. Um, uh, also uh, from uh, Smallville fame and uh, currently on V, uh, Laura Vanderhort. And uh, 
I kind of lost um, a little geek cred. Um, you and I had a bet, and um, oh yes, that's right. We were yes. going to talk about that. And what was that bet, Miles? Well, you you said it was uh, she was the she was the girl from um, V, and I thought, no, nah, she's got to be too you know too old for that. Or uh, the, the girl in Riverworld. Well, it was one the same, and I didn't realize this. Uh, she also was uh, Kara in uh, Smallville. So uh, right. Yeah, and she's also 26 years old, mind you. Yes. Miles is considering me a Miles is over here calling me a pedophile because she's young, and she's she looks young in V, but she is not that young. Well, they made her look a little older, or they just maybe just they implied she was a little older on Smallville. So I, yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe that's what kind of threw you a little bit regarding it. But anyways, and even like some of the other uh, auxiliary char- characters, the guy that played the evil character in that one. Oh, totally forget his name. Do you have it in front of you, Miles? Ian Cumming. He he has done tons of stuff. Oh, and he's he's a phenomenal actor. He did a great job in this. And I even thought, I've enjoyed the guy that played Samuel Clemens. Oh, I did too. Yeah, so I thought that the actors themselves worked. Mm -hmm. And even the aliens I kind of liked. Kind of like the mystery of the aliens and this whole foreign world. But if you're sensing anything, you're sensing like we're talking about the actors, but you may be sensing a little bit of hesitation from us. Miles, what's going on here? That's what I was wondering the whole time. What is going on here? Um, the story, I, I thought, kind of fell a little flat. Um, I just um, wasn't sure, you know, are these people dead? Or are they in some kind of purgatory? Um, are they, you know in some kind of reality where the, these aliens are kind of in control. The little, you know, just didn't know what was going on. So Yeah, is this supposed to be a type of heaven, and this is where we all go when we die? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. So, so it, I thought the story kind of fell a little flat. I mean, um, I, I, like I said, we talked about, we, we enjoyed some of the, the, the actors' performances, but as a story, I'll be honest, I, I saw the first three hours of this, and I didn't, you know, I thought I didn't watch the last hour of it. I, I didn't feel I needed to. Right. And I did watch the entire time. And I liked, I mean, I liked the, the story was good and all. The, 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 in fact, the tapestry, the it was visually stunning. I thought they did a real good job with the effects weren't real cheesy. And uh, um, sometimes when you get into the sci-fi movies, the movies done by the sci-fi original channel, it, 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 the effects feel a little bit flat. I did not feel the effects being flat. But I did feel like you're saying that the story for a four-hour movie, I felt that he could have maybe done this as a two. And yeah. maybe if the pacing was picked up, we would have enjoyed it a bit more. Right. And I, I don't know. I just would like to know a little more what was going on. Yeah. Um, but maybe, uh, maybe that's our fault for not doing the homework. But I think we kind of expect that when a show comes on sci-fi like that, that it's going to introduce the viewers to everything they need to know that they aren't going to require us to know a lot of backstory. Maybe it was for, you know, this was for the readers of the book. And I guess yeah, hardcore reader. fans of, of, of her world. Right. I need to make a correction. It's actually uh, Alan coming. Um, okay. And um, also I just want to get you yeah, Alessandro Giuliani. Oh, uh, yes. Another BSG alumni. Well, his appearance is brief. They brought him in for like that one opening scene and he's gone. Five minutes. He's gone. Yeah. He, he doesn't come back. Right, so... Um, but it was good to see him as well. Absolutely, it was good to see him. Yeah. Well, enough said. If you want to comment and share us your, give us your thoughts on Riverworld, you're more than welcome to come and uh, let us know what you thought because, hey, you know, Miles and I are just two guys that actually love sci-fi, just talking about sci-fi, but mm-hmm. we know there are other opinions out there, and we want to hear yours and your thoughts on Riverworld. So give us a call, 1-888-508-4343, and uh, we'll be happy to play it on the show. 
probably in some really huge news, Legend of the Seeker came out in the last 24 hours. This, will, again, will be probably three days old by the time it hits your ears if you're listening to the podcast right when it comes out. But Legend of the Seeker was canceled. Miles, you and I have have never kind of stepped foot into the show. Is that correct? That is correct. I never started watching yeah, it. We know a lot of people. I know uh, a lot of our friends that are into it that mm-hmm. are fans of the show. It's just, again, more of a time thing for me and something that I – Kevin, Batchelder, I pl- promise that I will go back and revisit sometime in my life. I just haven't done it quite yet. Here to kind of comment on uh, the cancellation and the news of the cancellation and how that's impacting him and his show is Kevin Batchelder. Hey, Scott and Miles and my fellow diners. This is Kevin Batchelder from the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV podcast. I wanted to give you all an update about the TV show Legend of the Seeker that you've heard me mention in some comments Unfortunately, we just found out in the last 24 hours that that show will not be coming back for a third season in the fall. Uh, It's owned by ABC Disney, but it's done as a syndicated show, so it's shown on many different channels in different markets. Uh, Used to have many of these in days gone by. The old Star Trek The Next Generation was one of the ones that did very well. But unfortunately, one of the big buyers independently of the show uh, was the Tribune Company. They, uh, owners of WGN and some other big uh, you know, uh, networks that were syndicated in many cable markets. Unfortunately, they're having some serious financial trouble, so they decided not to opt in as a buyer of Season 3. They claimed it was because of poor ratings, but actually Seeker's ratings have been very consistent, but when they're having financial trouble, there's not much they can do. So, unfortunately, producers weren't able to find another buyer for the show. U.S. Sci-Fi Channel was an option because they actually ran a marathon uh, several months back, and they owned some rights to air air it uh, again at this summer, I believe, but uh, they decided, and they put out a tweet actually on their official account that said they did seriously consider uh, jumping in and buying it, but they decided not to for many factors. So all we'll have is two full seasons. It's finishing up in a few weeks. And if you haven't heard of it or watched it, this is a fantasy show, um, you know, uh, similar to something you might have seen with Hercules or Xena or Lord of the Rings. It's not campy, though. It's very much a serious with a sense of humor show, and it was really well. Some great relationships funny stuff, and some very dark storylines here and there, based on a series of books by Terry Goodkind called The Sword of Truth. So at some point when those DVDs are out, I would recommend it to anyone who enjoys this type of, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings type big quest. Uh, Well worth looking at. We did a podcast and are still doing one called The Seeker Cast, where we've been talking about the shows, and we'll probably move to a digital book club to go through the books and things like that. If you're interested in the show or the books, you might want to check us out. So just take care, gang. Well, thanks, Kevin, for sending us that little uh, excerpt talking about why the show was canceled, mm-hmm. where that leaves uh, you folks from the Seeker cast. If you have not checked out the Seeker cast and you are fans of Legend of the Seeker, it is well worth checking out. Uh, they, I was chatting with him a little bit earlier in the day today, and he said they still have plans to talk about the novelizations, as he mentioned in the little blurb that you just heard. And he's good. They, they, they started the Seeker cast recently in the second season, so they have season one that they can go back and kind of cover that territory as well. So there's still a lot left for Seeker cast, if you, and especially if you're a fan, this is a podcast you want to stay tuned into. Don't just tune out because Legend of Seeker is no longer on. Uh, and there's still a few episodes left of that, but right. But um, it's definitely a blow to sci-fi fantasy fans as well. Right. Hey, so. 
Yeah, I know how it feels when a favorite sci-fi show of mine gets the axe. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we had uh, it with Dollhouse recently and, uh, uh you know, Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles. Uh, yeah. so, uh, and there's a good chance V or Flash Forward, one of them, it looks like Flash Forward at this point, you don't have any confirmation that yet has that potential as well. So mm-hmm. if you are fans of Legend Seeker, you know, let us know. Hey, we would love to, we do this whole thing at the end of the show called the Sci-Fi 5 and 5. Wouldn't it be great to have someone call in with the top five Legend of the Seeker moments? Yeah. They kind of, kind of commemorate the show. So mm-hmm. if you're, if you're a Legend of the Seeker fan, you're listening to the show, please call in and let us know your top five moments in Legend of the Seeker and we'll play them at the end of the show. Let's move on in our news. Uh, our next piece of news, you actually brought in, Miles. Yes, but uh, you actually showed it to me on your iPhone uh, last week, and I was very excited about this. Um, Young Justice. Uh, Young Justice is an all-new series produced by Warner Brothers Animation and based upon the characters from DC Comics. In Young Justice, being a teenager means proving yourself over and over to peers, parents, teachers, mentors, and ultimately to yourself. But what if you're not just a normal teenager? What if you're a teenage superhero? How much harder will it be to prove yourself in the world of superpowers? Super villains and super secrets. Are you ready to come of age in such a world? Are you ready for life or death rights of the pass- of, of passage? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, go ahead. Ross. We're not teenagers okay. anymore, Scott. <laughs> We're not superheroes either. That, 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 that's true. Are you ready to join the ranks of great heroes and prove you're worthy of the Justice League? Yes. Oh, sorry. Scott's getting excited. The members of Young Justice, Robin, Aqualad, Kid Flash, Superboy, Miss Martian, and Artemis are about to find out. There's much more to come, <coughs> excuse me, from DC Entertainment, said uh, Jeff Johns, DC Entertainment Chief Creative Officer. This is just the beginning. Yeah, sounds fascinating and uh, sounds exciting. Yeah, I'm, um, I, I, I've seen some of this, you know, in the comic book world. Uh, so some of the characters they're talking about. So um, this, should, this should be interesting and um, to see a live action of this. The folks that put out Justice League have always put out really good um Good shows, and so uh, it'll be nice to see a live action. Well, and they did just with Batman, of course, with Batman Beyond being the younger version, and I thought that carried off extremely well. It did, and they yeah. updated that, looking well. I think one of the concerns is when I when I hear them doing like the Young Justice League, I think of the old the the Baby Looney Tunes they had going around. I oh, realize yeah. that's totally different, but it was a go- it was goofy. It just wasn't quite the same as seeing Bugs, Daffy, and Roadrunner running around doing their thing. Well, even even with with uh, I don't know if you remember Teen Titans when that was. Oh uh, yes, I, I couldn't get into that. It was just um, different style of doing the animation and everything like that. I mean, it's the, the DC superheroes, but just uh, different from what the Justice League uh, the folks at Justice League put out. So I hope that they'll still could, you know do it in that. It'll be a little more naturalistic as right. um, in, in that. Well, we're looking forward to it, and we'll yes. at least give it a chance. Oh, yeah. Talking about other animation that we haven't talked about, uh, Clone Wars, have you caught any of season two? I'm starting to catch a few here and there. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it's good. It's just making time to watch everything. Yeah, it is. And uh, it's maybe it's one of the things I'll watch when DVD comes out. Right. It, because I just I haven't watched anything from season two. Well, the last episode, and I haven't watched it yet, um, Boba Fett does something to try to sabotage. Uh, I did hear that he's in. Yes. He's so, in, so. Uh, so we get to see uh, young Boba Fett in, in the latest episode. Exciting. Mm-hmm. Exciting. Let's move into some movie news. There's a new Airbender trailer out, and really it seems to be a compilation of the first Airbender uh, trailer that we saw and then just extended upon. But let me tell you, 
Miles, you and I watched this before the show. It looks amazing. It looks incredible. Some incredible effects. And if M. Night Shyamalan can pull this off without it ending up being hokey, mm-hmm. uh, like some of his stuff has come out recently, you know, relying on the twist. If it doesn't rely on that and just tells the story, we are going to be good to go. The trailer highlights some of the film's fantastical visual effects, including the glimpse of the giant white furry sky bison, Appa, as well as Ang, Noah Ringer, and his power over the four elements of air, fire, earth, and water. Last Airbender, of course, is based on the animated TV series Avatar The Last Airbender and also stars Nicolo Peltz, Jackson Rathbone, Del, Dev Patel, and Asif Mendiv. Oh, so I'm going to totally botch that. It opens July 2nd, so we have about a month and a half out from it, but it's a movie that I think that I do want to see in theaters, and best yet, it's in 3D, which, of course, is a whole... Oh, uh, it's a new wrong. trend right now. It is. But you know, if any movie really works, it's movies with the elements. So if you're talking about, you know, Earth, Wind, Fire, this could work. This could work where it necessarily didn't work in, in, uh, Clash of the Titans. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it's definitely a movie I'm looking forward to. It's one that I will probably see in theater because when I saw the first sneak trailer, the, the, the sneak peek trailer that they had out, Totally in love with it then, and this trailer just makes me want to go see it even more. It's one of the movies that we're looking forward to this summer. So, and uh, Iron Man 2, of course, this week. But this is, but last, this new Airbender trailer definitely may be worth checking out. We're going to have a link in the show notes. So if you haven't seen it yet, you can check it out there. Yeah, it's quite impressive. It is quite impressive. Well, there's been talk about a, a live action Green Lantern movie for a while, but. Uh, finally now it, it is in the works and it's casted and so it's it's being worked upon. Um, uh, Ryan Reynolds, he is slated to play Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern. Um, Mark Strong is slated to play Sinestro. Um, uh, big Hollywood actor uh, Tim Robbins is uh, playing uh, uh, Senator Hammond. And um, I haven't seen any pictures or trailers for it yet, but um, I, I trust it'll be good. I remember we talked about this. Um, many months ago, there was actually a, um, a fan-made trailer fe- uh, featuring uh, Nathan Fillion in it. And um, I was going to say Malcolm Reynolds. Yeah, yeah there is. See the Reynolds connection? Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, so, um, so, so I, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, uh, we, a live-action Green Lantern uh, movie. Uh, but you can still see the uh, fan-made. Uh, if you just need to see something, there's a really good fan-made uh, one on the internet. We're looking forward to another superhero movie in the works, 2011. So we have a year till that one actually hits. But right. that's something to look forward to. Absolutely. So that's Green Lantern. Let's move into DVD news. Well, if you you have to be living under a rock not to know this news, but last Tuesday, Avatar, Avatar was released on Blu-ray and DVD, and it set records. Like this did not this this movie did not go quietly into the night. Now, Fox issued a press release announcing that Avatar is the fast-selling Blu-ray of all time. Get this, selling 2.7 million blues in just four days. Dark Knight sold 2.5 million units total. Hmm. That was a a big one for it. The sci-fi epic has sold over 6.7 million discs so far, already outselling the Twilight Moon saga New Moon. 20th Century Fox celebrated a record-shattering first day of sales Thursday for the 2D DVD and Blu-ray release of Avatar. According to Hollywood reporter James Cameron's sci-fi epic sold 1.5 million copies of the Blu-ray disc, 
topping Dark Knight's previous record of 600,000 blues on the shelf date as of de- in December 2008. Retailers reportedly sold out of 60% of their inventory on average. Official sales numbers have not yet been released, but an early industry estimate puts the totals units sold well north of 4 million, which is a record-breaking figure. This Twilight Saga New Moon moved during its first two days. So doing much better than Twilight, which, quite frankly, is pretty cool in my opinion. That's okay with me. Hey, there are people that like Twilight, not dissing that, but it's not a movie I've gotten into. Mm -hmm. The 2D bare-bones version of Avatar containing zero extras and only the theatrical cut of the film, yet it's already on pace, easily become the highest-selling title in 2010. New Moon sits at approximately $6.5 since its release in March. Cameron has promised a special edition in November with additional footage and the usual goodies which should contribute to the smashing record, too. A 3D Blu-ray won't be available until 2011, while the studio holds out for the 3D home video technology to become more prevalent and Blu-ray technology to match theatrical quality. So holding out. So do I wait? The question is, do I wait to buy this movie until to, till November? That's a hard one. I mean, uh, I, I say yes. I think you and I are savvy enough to know that it's best to wait on DVDs and Blu-rays till you get something with more footage. Yeah, and that's my – and I, I was talking about I wouldn't mind having this movie early. I'm definitely running it off of Netflix early. Mm-hmm. No no doubt there, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to see this movie again. I mean, you, I've only seen it once in theaters, and there's so much to this movie. You, you have to see it a couple times to just take it all in. Yeah. Uh, James Cameron's got to be thinking, how can we get a sequel out of this? I mean, this is making. Well, I know that they're bucks. definitely the, they're definitely talking about it. Uh, by the way, I just I did look up right uh, today at the totals for this movie as of today stand worldwide at two point seven billion dollars. Two point seven billion. Uh, domestic has brought in seven hundred forty six thousand. But seven hundred forty-six million dollars, and then foreign has been one point nine billion dollars. So it's huge, huge, incredible movie. Cameron definitely is excited about this. I, I don't doubt that. You don't doubt us. Well, let's do some miscellaneous news. And uh, in our miscellaneous news, we have some good news from a friend of ours. Yes, our friend, uh, Star Trek uh, novel author, and uh, he is releasing one of his own novels, uh, Counter Strike which is released today. Uh, uh, Counter-Strike, when the alien war engulfing a distant planet spilled to Earth through a network of hidden portals, humankind was plunged into an apocalyptic generation-old conflict between the Plycerians and the Trojakai. Now, months after Earth's most powerful military forces formed a tenuous alliance with the Plycerians and countered a devastating three-pronged Kodokrai uh, offensive, alien survivors continued to wreak havoc on a shell-shocked Earth. Martial law and civil unrest run rampant. Resistance cells and pockets of Trotterkai sympathizers are gathering strength. And two SU Marines, uh, Sergeant Major uh, Simon DiCarlo and Sergeant uh, Belinda Russell, remain trapped on the alien planet of John Chastrina. Now, as human and Placerian scientists and engineers race to unlock the intergalactic portals and harvest alien technology, Earth prepares for the most explosive battle for its existence. Join the war effort are recruits like Young Colin Laney, who will advance from Marine boot camp to the forefront of a massive invasion on alien terrain with the fate of two worlds hanging in the balance. Dun, dun, dun. You know why I gave you this story, Miles? All the hard names you have to pronounce in this one. He makes me do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're much better at the hard names. Well, Dayton, we are very ecstatic that this book has finally been released. We talked about this earlier. I tried to get a plug from him in today. 
I'm really glad this book is out. I have, I'm about halfway through the first novel, because mm-hmm. uh, this is a sequel novel. Congratulations, Dayton. We yes. are ecstatic for you, and we hope sales are good. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in finding out more about this novel, we have a link to the Amazon page with it, and as well as a link to his website, which can tell you more about this novel. Well worth checking out. Right. Uh, I've read many of Dayton's uh, Star Trek novels. Uh, very fine author, so yeah, yeah. Uh, very enjoyable to yeah. read his stuff. Yeah. And I, and uh, especially the story in the Seven Deadly Sins, right? Yes, which is what probably one of, the, one of the more recent ones. One other thing we have in this, two other things we have in miscellaneous news. Uh, one is Starpool. If you aren't, don't know what Starpool is, it is a basically a radio drama, and we're gonna have a link in our show notes. They contacted us wanting to plug it, so we're gonna give it a little bit of a plug here. Check out their if you're into audio dramas, and there are a lot out there. We actually sat in one at the Farpoint Con. That's that is true. With Lee Arnberg and Felicia Day was mm-hmm. a part of that, mm-hmm. and that was it was kind of cool seeing them film that. So uh, and uh, so these guys are doing something similar. So if you miss the olden days of radio and you want to get some fresh new audio dramas, check out Starpole. Um, and uh, the website for that is audio.starpole. S T A R P O L Starpole. .net and uh, very excellent quality. Miles and I were listening to just a segment of it before mm-hmm. coming on here, and these guys do a very professional, bang up job on it. Well worth it. Now, just a note: um, to get the full episode, you're going to have to shell out just a few dollars to check it out. But uh, well worth paying them for the time that they put into it, in my opinion. Right. I, th- I, th- I think it was like two fifty per show. Yeah, and uh, so there's four shows out. It's not going to break the bank. You know, for no. ten dollars, you can own all four episodes, mm-hmm. and these. These are not short. We're looking at 20, 30 minute radio dramas here and they're, they're really good. But they're, but it's extremely well done though. Yes. Well done. Well worth your $2.50 to mm-hmm. check out. So just wanted to plug that there. Miles, take us into our last piece of miscellaneous news. Well, uh, t- two, uh, things I like, uh, uh, Broadway shows and, uh, comic book, uh, heroes. Uh, and this is, uh, I get both in one, uh, one setting. A Batman live stage show being, uh, prepped by Warner Brothers. Uh, Warner Brothers and DC Comics are playing a, a Batman live sh- stage show. Uh, according to THR, the show is not a musical, but a touring arena production targeted at children and families. The script for the show is being penned by Alan Burnett and Steve Berkowitz, the writers behind various animated Batman and Superman TV series. And the show will be produced by the team who made Walking with Dinosaurs into a touring event. No tours have been confirmed, but may roll out in 2012 following release of Christopher Nolan's sequel to The Dark Knight. All right, well, let's talk about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sequel to The Dark Knight. Have we heard anything about this yet? Nothing. Nothing. So this isn't part, maybe the, one of the biggest aspects of this story, and I think that there's been rumors that there's a third one in the works, mm-hmm. all right? But we've heard virtually nothing about it, and this is the first thing we've heard in a while. So part of what makes this story interesting to me is the fact that they mentioned that this is going to come out in 2012 following the release of the sequel to The Dark Knight. Like we're getting a sequel is good. Yes, and so I guess we assume that we are going to have you know Mr. Terminator himself back, right? Yeah, so Mr. Christian Bale. Yeah, so we'll get him back as Batman. I would assume. You would think. I, I would think so too. Yeah. And I mean, the movie certainly has done well enough to entice him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. What do you think about a Batman show? Very cautious. Um, it sounds like it's kind of kind of geared towards. Kids, so so maybe um, might not be good, adult might not necessarily appreciate it. I, years ago, they did a Superman musical on Broadway, and it um, 
it tanked. It did, it did horrible. So what about the Spider-Man? Wasn't there a Spider-Man musical that was just out or is coming out? I heard rumors of that. It was in production, and then I haven't followed it because I'm not really interested in it. Yeah. But uh, I don't I don't necessarily think superhero genres translate well to live stage shows. I am totally with you. Yeah. If you have actually ever seen a mu- one of the musicals and you beg to differ, please let us know. But uh, I am not a fan of superheroes in. I mean, there's something that's taken out of their superness. Maybe that's just it. right. And and with with doing it either on TV or doing animation, you have very limit. The limitations you have doing a live stage show are tremendous compared to what you could do on TV or animation. So um, we'll see. Yeah. Well, we hope for the best. That's for sure. Absolutely. Hope for the best. Mm-hmm. This week this in Star Trek. And this week in Star Trek news, I would like to give the, uh, the Las Vegas uh, Star Trek convention uh, a plug. And I, I wish I could be there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be held April 5th through the 8th at the Las Vegas Hilton. April 5th? I'm sorry, August 5th, my bad. Ooh. Um, but it, but uh, guest list, very impressive. Uh, William Shatner, uh, Leonard Nimoy, Brent Spiner, Jerry Ryan, uh, Avery Books, Jonathan Frakes, um, Nana Visitor, uh, Connor Trenier, uh, Walter Koenig, George Decay, uh, Dominic Keating, Robert Picardo, who we met last year, Armin Sherman, uh, Rene Albergera, Alice Creed, uh, Anthony Montgomery, and uh, James Darren, and Garrett Wayne, Ethan Phillips, who we met last year also, and uh, a, whole, a host of more. It'll take me too long to read them all. It's going to be a uh, that is pretty incredible. Uh, one of these days before I'm dead, I'm going to have to go see one of these conventions. You know, this, and this is supposedly, this, you know, Leonard Nimoy's last year in the circuit, right? Right. So this is your chance. If you want to see, you know, the old crew, at least part of the old crew together, you have a chance here. Right. I mean, the old crew is, well, not getting any younger. So, um, no, they are an old crew. I mean, um, both William Shatner and uh, Leonard Nimoy are... 79 years old now. Uh, probably the rest of the original crew are probably in their early 70s now. So, yeah, so this might be one of the few opportunities to see, see as many of them together. But, so, How much does it cost to get into the Vegas Bowl? I have not seen the price. Um, but not to mention hotel and all that. Right. Hotels are, are ironically, hotels in Vegas are cheap um, for the most part. Yeah, because of the gambling, right? They it, wanted to cover it. Uh, right. I mean, if you. Have you been, been to Vegas? No, I haven't. Oh, man. I, I want to go sometime. Right. Uh, well, they, they had a Star Trek uh, theme park there at one time, and uh, they just sold, au- auctioned off a lot of the I merchandise know. for that. So, you bid on any? No, I I, uh, I I resisted temptation. Yeah, yeah, okay. But um, uh, second piece of news, and we I think we will post the picture in our show notes. We will. Um, you have to send me that picture, by the way. I shall. But um, I guess uh, people like to use um, breakfast meats to make uh, either. Sci-fi ships or sci-fi vehicles. I mean, what else can you do with breakfast meals? Well, I guess this is if what was before was dessert. We're going to call this one the midnight snack. Okay, yes. here we go. Uh, some somebody enterprising fellow made an enterprise out of uh, breakfast sausage and uh, what appears to be um, some Lebanon bologna. Uh, if you go to, we'll post a picture. But if you go to Star Trek Movie.com site, they have an impressive picture of uh, Enterprise. Um, with uh, sausage and uh, bologna made out of that. There you go. Uh, the question is, does it fly? Um, probably not. Or will it make you do warp speed? 
That it might. <laughs> it might. Yes. Or maybe make your ballot worse. <laughs> or speed. <laughs> That's kind of gross. It is. <laughs> All right. Move along. So is that it for the twist? That is it for the twist this week. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Well, we're going to move into our interview with uh, Lee Arnberg. We're excited about this interview. Uh, before we do that, we do want to plug a second podcast tonight, and they are good friends, Wayne and Dan from Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan. You know, I've been after Wayne and Dan to give me a promo for a long time. Finally, this week, I got a promo for Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan. If you are fans of the Fringe, genre show The Fringe, it is absolutely a show that you must listen to. They do a great job, breakdown of it. You know I've talked about it. I, of course, do my segment on that called this, the uh, uh, Fringe Quote of the Week. I keep forgetting the name of that. But check it out. Check it out, please. And here's a promo. Come close. I've got a quick question for you. Have you ever felt like you're out on the edge? Let's maybe call it the Fringe. I happen to know someone who's fluent in gobbledygook. Well, I might be that guy. I'm Wayne Henderson. And I'm Dan, Metal Dan on Twitter. And together, we are the Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan podcast, devoted to the TV show Fringe. Check out Fringe Casting at MediaVoiceOvers.com slash Fringe, also in iTunes, the Zoom Marketplace, etc. Then call us with your Fringe thoughts and theories on our listener line at area code 206-984-1446. Thank you for your attention and have a nice day. Well, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. We now have our main dish. See, we had dessert before. Mm -hmm. But now we're getting into the meat of the show, I guess you could argue, and we had a chance, we are at Farpoint Con, to sit down with Lee Ehrenberg. And now Lee Ehrenberg, of course, if you don't know who this is, this is a guy from Pirates of the Caribbean. Right, yeah. Yeah. Excellent interview, right? This was this was so much fun talking with him. Um, I mean, I, I had some questions prepared, but we didn't use any of them. We just, three of us just sat down and had a nice conversation about uh, what he's doing, uh, what, what his opinions are, things going on in Hollywood. Um... You know, just, uh, you know, just work with pirates. Uh, it was a very delightful guy to talk to. If you get a chance to see him at the conventions, he's very approachable, uh, very fan-friendly. I saw him, you know, people would ask him to say hi to somebody with their cell phones, and he would get into character. I mean, he, he was having a great time, yeah. uh, very personable. So, And he was just walking around the con floor. I think people didn't recognize him. Right. I mean, he's just, you know, he's he, physically, he's... Um, Short of a man. Short of a man, bald guy, very, you know, kind of, you know, not very remarkable looking, so, you know, but, uh, he's played some real, he's had really good parts in the sci fi world and, and a very memorable character in, uh, Pirates. Yeah, and Star Trek, he bridged, he bridged like three or four Star Trek, uh, yeah, he did, uh, story. Uh, he did, he was, he was a Ferengi in, in, in Star Trek Next Gen, uh, Deep Space Nine, um, he played a Malon in, in Voyager, and he played, um, a uh, Tellarite in Star Trek Enterprise. Right. So, I mean, he was in a different four different Star Trek shows as well. Right. So, uh, well worth it. You know, there's no introduction to the interview when you sit when you hear us sit with him. We just started talking. I just started rolling what we were recording, and it just recorded our conversation. So, 
Uh, it's going to be where it was, but I think it was we, Miles and I both kind of agree that this was one of our favorite interviews. I, I, I 100% agree. Yeah, one of our favorite interviews from the con, and uh, not that we didn't enjoy Felicia Day, but mm-hmm. Lee Arenberg, this is uh, our interview with him. We won't hurt you. We will find you, Puppet. You've got something of ours and it calls to us. The gold calls to us. Gold. But I mean, it is probably the most. After what's Johnny Depp like? I'd say that would be the most. I won't ask you that question. I want to do it because the guy's a great guy. So obviously, your fans are interested. I don't think he's a real sci-fi. He hasn't really done a good sci-fi one, has he? Yeah, now that you consider Alice in Wonderland. That's uh, uh, kind of whole cloth, I think. Is it? Isn't Tim Burton like, oh, in reverence to the Lewis Carroll? I'm kind of creating my own new kind of story, kind of an annotation of an annotation or. They redid Willy Wonka too. Yeah, but they're maybe fantasy, maybe yeah. more than anything. There were some parts of Willy Wonka that were great, but and obviously Johnny is—I love Johnny's, you know, friend. But you don't, you don't really mess with an original like, you know, the the Gene Wilder version that you know it's so iconic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although I thought that, uh, you know, the squirrels and, uh, what's his name? Um, I was my buddy from the gym now, space and I was named the little dude. Oh, yeah. Who played all the parts. Yeah, and, all, all, all the Oompa Loompas. Yeah. yeah. That was a great, uh, uh, Deep Roy. Yes, Deep Roy. Right. Yeah. So it was like Roy's thing, you know. It was but so, 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 so much comedy in that part. Yeah, comedy, but also, uh, I mean, there's something about the lost child. The lost childhood of Willy Wonka in compared to Charlie Bucket's kind of like, right. you know, here he has nothing, but he's still able to make something out of his childhood. And I think that's why he ends up at the chocolate factory. Right. right. It's, you know, obviously Roald Dahl probably came from a hard ups or a tough upbringing, potentially. Right. At least that's what he sort of, you know, makes Seems. you think. Yeah. 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 I think, wasn't the, the, the new movie, I was told it was a little more... Closer to the book, I think. You mean the this one, or you mean the the original? I mean his version. Uh, Tim Burton's was. was I'm going to say that sounds good. You know, because the thing is, well, because I think I must have read the book when I was 12, right? And that wasn't something I needed to reread before I saw the movie. So I don't know. You know what I mean? Either I'm. You point that. What's interesting to me is that how the studios are not really 
uh, going after books as much right now as they are kind of old TV shows or comic I know, books. I know, I know. Because I think a book's tougher to adapt, and and you know, there's those comic books you can pretty much go whole cloth and create a whole new world, or based on just maybe one image of a character or one concept of a character. So yeah. you probably, I mean, they're doing redoing the eighteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that'll be cool. Me too. Because <laughs> the original show was kind of like, come on, it was so cheesy. It was very careful. The best part of that was Mr. T. That's uh, what I thought. I have some good Mr. T. I did a movie, um, not really sci-fi, but it was a movie called Freaked. Okay. Which was done by Alex Winter from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure <laughs> and his old directing partner, Tom Stern. And in it, basically, Randy Quaid runs this weird freak show and everyone that kind of comes to check it out gets turned into a freak. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. T is the bearded lady. I played this guy called the Eternal Flame. I always had a flame out my butt, like Le Pen. We had sort of a Hollywood Squares bit. Pano! Ball in, you know, like Secret Squares, like totally. Uh, so, Mr. T would always invite me into his trailer and he'd be like, we walk into my trailer and listen, uh, we'll drink some champagne and some uh, uh, Dom Perignon. We'll listen to Reverend Lewis Sarkar. <laughs> He's like always trying to get me to come in there and listen to what this other dude named Reverend Jasper Williams, like fiery preachers. I love it. Mr. T's one of the good guys, mm-hmm. you know, because he is larger than life. And if you think about that story, I mean, they should do the Mr. T story because he uh, he came from like the toughest parts of Chicago, South Side. Mm-hmm. Now all I can remember is when uh, you know he was at his height. There's Nancy Reagan. He's dressed as the White House Santa. And Nancy Reagan is sitting on his lap, you know. In the, I know. can you believe? I mean, that's, that's Mr. T. Yeah, I mean that's that's from the that's a Ronald Dahl story all over again. Well, in a, again, in a way, you know? I mean, in a way, it's the bootstraps. You know, you come build, put yourself up from the bootstraps, and and um and end up kind of. I mean, at the at the pinnacle, at least of if you think about. Um, I don't know the rise for him. He had he had all that gold, right? And uh, he let me try it on. It was like 16 pounds of gold. But he's actually... And I was like, dude, he had a thousand bucks. And I, don't know, oh, oh, oh. I couldn't even imagine. Back then, I think it was like three quarters of a million dollars worth of gold. Now, it comes when gold went up. It's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> wow. So, anyway. it's wow. a, But, I mean, that's part of it. I think that's the great thing, you know, about being a character actor, though, really, is you kind of bounce, bounce, bounce some projects. You, you end up with so many cool life and, and kind of experiences. Is that who you consider yourself a character actor? I'm an actor that plays characters. Okay. They, everyone else considers me a character actor because I'm whatever, five foot six or bald or, you know what I mean? Right. Um, I always look at somebody that says you're a character actor, I always look at that as a put down. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like a really, pigeon holds you. Well, no, it's sort of like saying you just play small parts. Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in Hollywood, it has that connotation. Right. So, um, I proudly wear the label of character actor because I do think I create some fun characters, but it would be an honor to be called an actor that plays characters. I mean, that would kind of be the coolest thing they could ever say about my acting career, you know, as opposed to, like, I never play myself. Right. Do you know what I mean? I never. Mm -hmm. I've done, I just, in fact, did a movie last summer called, it's going to be called A Kiss for Jed Wood. It's a little Irish movie about basically a um, an, an aging, a 40-something... Call that aging, jeez. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, a, a 40-something Irish camera guy, cinematographer, who basically cannot get a... Uh, he can't get the right gig for himself, and he's kind of on the end of his... Not sure what to do. And 
So he takes a job as a reality show cameraman and is assigned to follow this wild 20-year-old to New York as she stalks her favorite celebrity. And basically, I play the sound guy that they pick up in New York, um, you know, porno Mike from Jersey, you know, next porno dude who's like <laughs> lamenting the loss of porn industry, how it switched over to like now iPhones and flip phones and no great sound quality in porn anymore. It's it's very very character. Yeah. Interesting character because he's kind of this observer and you kind of go, well, he's like a real, he's not, there's not much to the guy. And then as you get to know the guy, his observations are pretty spot on. And also there's a depth and a compassion for the other guys. And he ultimately encourages his buddy, and then at the end of the movie, they kind of go off together to do the Irish guy's fantasy film, which is an, a Civil War movie about Irish, the, the uh, what do they call it, the Green Badge of Courage or something. Okay. And, uh, but that was probably the closest to me that I played in 25 years. Mm. So, you know, that's kind of fun to be able to kind of just make up or wear the makeup and, and you know, go kind of out there. I mean, if we look at your resume, I mean, probably think people think you as doing comedic roles, but you've done it all. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that it's, it's, I mean, there's probably a little too much of the comedy, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that uh, I couldn't do the other kind of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that, in, you know, I think in a lot of ways comedy is harder, you know, than the drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it takes the timing and it's very rhythmic, it's like being a jazz musician, mm-hmm. you know. But I enjoy, I enjoy the spectrum. I don't mind. I love the film. It could be television. I enjoy, I enjoy doing the radio or live, you know, doing theater. I think as an actor, you know, I think part of the fun is if you're going to call yourself an actor, enjoy the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, find happiness in the process. Results, lots of times, don't don't give you the, the happiness. But what, what, where you find your satisfaction is, you know, in the fact that you can call yourself an actor for one more day. Mm-hmm. You know, especially, you know, these days it seems to be, you know, it gets harder and harder all the time now with all the stuff that goes on in Hollywood and, you know, you're, you're constantly trying to change people's opinions of you. And Has the economy really hit Hollywood oh, just really hard? Flattened, dude. Yeah. We started with the writer's strike. I know. That and when the writer's strike happened, that gave the studios and all the, the executive producers a chance to jettison a lot of production deals, chance to cut a lot, a lot, a lot of people loose. Suddenly you have, like, now, you know, prior to the strike, you might have had, you know, 60% free agent and 40% had deals with studios, and then, you know, right? Now I'd say 85% free agent. Then the hedge funds and all the money died. So the independent filmmaking can't get financed, right? So it really put, it took the power out of the hands of the movie star and gave it back to the studios. The other thing that's happening is studios aren't ponying up the huge upfront fees for the big stars. They're saying, I mean, obviously at Johnny or the ones they truly know are megastars, which there aren't many. But there, I can think of, I mean, I would say, you know, now, because what they'll do is they'll give this kid like Taylor Lautner 15 million or whatever it is. The two guys, you know, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, Twilight, he was good. That, that movie was going to make a lot of money no matter what. Right. Didn't matter if I was playing that role. They would have done see it. So, you know, I, I, more power to you, Taylor, and all that. I have no, I'm not at all, you know, jealous of that. The only thing I'm jealous of is the fact that suddenly you're getting 15 million and everyone else is going to be doing it for scale, mm-hmm. making you look good, Doc. 
you know? And obviously, you don't know anybody anything, but, you know, in a way, it's like, come on. I've worked 25, 30 years. I don't want to have to take a pay cut to, right. you know, be in the play, take a supporting role for you. Right. See what I mean? So ultimately, of course, I would have to. Because you got a family to feed, you got insurance. So, yeah, the economy crippled. Crippled. The other thing then, of uh, the other change in that's really prevalent is, you know, now suddenly parts that I would win, like my Seinfeld roles or sort of these character roles, the good character roles, Bruce Willis will do it. That's right. A lot of the big names are doing TV now. Yeah, man. And they'll, and they'll do it for, a, you know, a, they'll obviously get paid more than the other than, than I would. So when, of course, they do it in a kind of sweepsy kind of way where they're trying to go for ratings. Sure. Totally understand it. I mean, the really only way to win is to be to become more successful. Mm-hmm. You know, which kind of takes a little bit of the fun out of the game. It makes it work. It's yeah. fun. It is work, man. And tell us a little bit about pirates. I mean, we discussed briefly before we started recording here. Tell us, what's been going on with pirates for you? Well, I mean, the pirates four is not looking good for me. So, I mean, basically, we are OU Tittle on that. Okay. Which, you know, it's been a great ride. I'm, I'm completely, totally disappointed, but I mean, what can you do? You know, the, the honest thing is, you know, hey, they're, they're saying they bought this book, they have all these characters, they don't want to just waste us in the background, and I'm like, dude, waste me. Yeah. <laughs> but, that's, I, if that, that's, that's what the writer, that's what I heard, and, and I'm, I'm okay with it, you know? I would think, though, that, um, with a new director, maybe he wants his own brand of funny, you know, kind of stuff. Or um, do you think they'll change the tone of the movie? I mean, I, you know what? I mean, I think Rob Marshall. I like Chicago was okay. Nine Nine Blue, um, the Geisha movie was beautiful and boring. So I mean, I don't know what you're going to get. Maybe they're trying to get a, make a musical out of it. Maybe they're <laughs> angling for a Broadway show. I don't yeah. know. You know, um, that's what it would seem to me. Why they would choose him to direct it. Uh, don't know the guy. Um, wish he would have. You know, I'm not sure it was even his call. I think it's it was a Disney call that they, you know, don't have us back. But I know I read that my partner Mackenzie said he was ambivalent about it, and I don't think I'm ambivalent. I'm more. I'm just disappointed in it. Right. You know, it's like being on the team and then suddenly realizing that you weren't one of the cool kids after all, or something like that. It is. That's what it, it feels is. like. You know, yeah. it just hurts my feelings. Um, it's too bad because I mean, you really I mean three movies. There's such great chemistry between all you guys. It was such comedy, I, and it was so fun. Yeah. I mean, and the weird thing is, if they were saying, "Oh, tonally, we want you guys to shift," I'd just go to them, dude. The first movie, the first thing I do is kill someone. Mm-hmm. You know, it was your call, studio's call, to kind of whack us into these comedic kind of uh, uh, commentators on the action. Right. You know, kind of a Greek chorus. I mean, in the first movie, we're sort of funny bad guys with a lot of bad in us. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously we could have done that, but, you know, it's one of those things. I wish them all the best. I don't want, I, I hopefully they can, you know, hopefully I don't find out in the first four seconds of the movie, oh, you know, Pintel was killed, mm-hmm. and I don't get my screen death, or <laughs> rather have to say I'm like running a pub on some island, so theoretically they could stop by for a rum or whatever, maybe figure, figure a way to get us back into the action. you going to try and explain it? I don't know. It's an interesting question. I don't know. Maybe, probably not. Yeah, they're probably they could just pretend you weren't even there. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's ironic that like the last thing in the movie of the third one is okay. We're all chasing with the map and him, and uh, we're going after. Although it was convoluted, we're going after uh, that uh, Fountain of Youth concept. And then this book, I think, is sort of based on that. What I read about Stranger Tides is it's kind of like. Uh, 
you know, the lead character is sort of on a quest to find his puppeteer father or some weird stuff. So, <laughs> I don't know, and, and searching for the fountain of youth. And so I'm sure it'll be like an interesting deal. Anything with Johnny or Jeffrey or uh, Kevin McNally, it'll be. I'll, I'll check it out. Maybe I'll wait. I'll go see it in the theater. I'll penalize them like five bucks until they send me a free copy of the thing. You know what I mean? Because that's just one of those things where it's like, you know, you think you have something. That's just, that just really shows you the, uh, not the unfairness, but the, I don't know, it's the truth, you know, about the town. You know, yeah. if you're not, if, I mean, if you're not the, the main dude in these franchises, well, they fired Tobey Maguire. Yeah, I was going to say, even if you are the main yeah. dude. If you get old, you can't fit the suit, don't want to work out. I mean, that obviously wasn't the case for me. In my thing, I could be fat for anybody, but... Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But the... Uh, uh, the unfairness sure. is not... They, they never, nobody ever said it was fair. Right. So we're, I'm okay with that. My thing is, let me land something else. It's hard to see the door, other door opening when you're staring at the one that is closing. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's tough. And, you know, I mean, half the time you feel like crying or yelling or smashing something. So it's just passion. Right. Well, on an right. emotional level, I mean, you know, all, all you contributed to the success of the Pirates. Uh, they were big gigs. For, that was a big gig for me. That was definitely, you know, it's definitely why I'm here. You know, it definitely was some of the other stuff I'd done was, you know, um, you know, people saw it, but you're basically kind of guest starring. I felt like I was kind of one of the stars of that one, so it was a pretty neat deal to feel like right. you were part of it. And then, and obviously, you know, they brought they 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 would hustle me a lot, Disney, to you know promoting a lot of their products, and I and it was good for other you know tie-ins and because they right. couldn't get the other dudes to come advertise for them. Hmm. Right. So in a way, being one of the LA based uh, actors, one of the only ones. The only Americans in that movie were Johnny, me, and Martin Kleba. Everyone else was English or Australian or whatever. I mean, it was a huge break for me that they, that Gore Verbinski is such a stickler on his casting because he couldn't find short, bald, and crazy in London. You know, then I got the I had a chance to win the part. Right. So I'm still at the win the part stage, man. You got to prove it in yeah. this town, and, and I don't mind that. You know. I'd rather have to go in an audition than not get a crack at it at all. Right, right. You know, I'll take my chances. You know? now, you've done some Star Trek work as well. Done a bunch of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Done a bunch of Star Trek. All sorts of series. Too. Right, I've done... First one I did... <clears throat> done, I did one Deep Space Nine, then I did a couple of the Next Gens, then I did um, a Voyager, and then I did the two parts on Enterprise, which right. was the United and Babel 1, mm-hmm. where I played the... Uh, the Tellerite? Tellerite Master. I'm a huge Star Trek fan, so yeah, I... Yeah, he, he is. Cool. Well, let's, let's get into it. <laughs> well, I mean, you've had to put on a lot of makeup and prosthetics. Sure. Not only for Pirates, but then the Ferengi part as well. The Ferengis, um... I mean, I did Dungeons and Dragons, which is a sort of fantasy, and that was just right. a I weird, big-ass beard. So, yeah, I've been dealing with the makeup a lot. Now, um, have you seen... I mean, some actors, you know... Complain about you know the discomfort with prosthetics. I mean, um, I, I mean, you're okay with it. I mean, I mean, some you know, there are some things that like will bother you. Mm-hmm. Uh, spirit gum, mm-hmm. the glueiness, the stickiness, the tackiness. It's mostly mental. Mostly wearing the makeup is a mental thing. It's going to be uh, uncomfortable. The key thing is getting respect from the makeup artist. 
Um, I, when I did that show, uh, Angel, they didn't give a crap about me. They didn't give a crap. So there was no fitting. So they slapped some like basic mask on me. The lenses don't fit right. I mean, basically they burn my face. I mean, and so it can go horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. It can go horribly wrong. But let's say if they think they can break you, then they take care of you. If they think you're indestructible, you, you know. Fortunately for me, that all the makeup artists I work with, from Mike Smithson to Steve Anderson, all the guys on Star Trek, they respected who I was as an actor. They liked me as a person. So uh, Joel Harlow, for sure, who was my guy on Pirates for three movies, he took care of me. The key part of it is say, you know, when you first establish the makeup, it's like take it off with the same stuff every time. Mm-hmm. Use the same on your, keep the pH on your skin, even tone. Mm-hmm. Because on a pirate, when you're wearing it for multiple, for hundreds and hundreds of applications, you know, you have to train the skin. Because it takes a real beating, rubbing the latex on and off. Whereas in Star Trek, um, you really may be suiting up only eight times in the makeup. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as long as, I don't know, I think you stay calm, you know, and especially in the taking off. So going into the makeup usually starts at 4 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning. It's early, you're tired. It's not going to be hard just to sit there. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the getting out of it. I don't know if you know who Mark Alimo is, yeah. the actor who did a bunch of Star Trek He's one of the most famous dudes ever for every time you'd be done, you wouldn't even wait to take the makeup off. You'd just peel it off, man. And I was like, dude, how do you do that? How do you do that with no remover or no nothing? All the time, I was so impressed. He'd just be like, and he had a lot of prosthetics. <laughs> he had the whole thing. You know? yeah, the whole thing. makeup, yeah. The worst of the makeups ever in Star Trek, the, the, one, the only one that really ever hurt me or it kind of injured me, it was, um, was on the Voyager... And then the Voyager was that, uh, I played that Pelk who was a, um, what was that? A Malon. Oh, okay. Right, and we were the space garbage man. We had the most beautiful planet, and we used to, like, so guys would have to take the toxic waste, and it was a dangerous mission because they thought there was some sort of creature from the Black Lagoon, the Vahir, who was attacking them. It turned out it was just somebody who was mutated by the toxic sludge. So it was like a real dude. So... Got dressed to play the Malon for my, whatever scenes I was shooting in the morning. And then the last scene I should work for the day was a death scene where I get my face scalded off. So the way they do that is they still keep your alien makeup on and they add and they build on top of that the burn effects. Well, if you sit in the makeup for 8, 12, 14 hours, it comes off pretty easy. Right. Your, your oils have worked in it. If you're only in it for an hour or two, it ain't, it ain't coming off with, with, the, with the glue they put on there. So you're essentially glued in, and so they really have to get in there and really scrub it off and, Ooh. you know, pull it off your face to get it out of there. <laughs> I don't think people realize, I mean, getting into what, they, like you said, getting it off is, is the hard part. Getting it off is the part when you want it off. Mm-hmm. It's the only time it really you start to get impatient. Because when you're getting into it, your mind is, oh, okay, i got a full day, full day. Right. Like, say, pirates, the makeup wasn't a bummer for me, but the beard and the mustache were a bummer. <clears throat> Because you can't really eat, you can't, you know, it's it's always being chased by your makeup artist. That's the thing they chase you all day. Because, in other words, you and, and your makeup artist and your hair person, for me, when you're adding the hair, too, it's, it's a real kind of, like, mutual relationship. I don't want to go in front of the camera and be able to have them see the lace of my beard, so I'm going to have to spend that extra time to 
every time before a shot, go get a chat, go have someone look at it, go have a poke it, glue it down, glue it, you know? We're working in 90 degrees and 90% humidity. It's like not much is going to stick to that, you know? Especially if you've gone out and had a few beers the night before or had some spicy food or whatever. All that pH stuff will add into the equation. <clears throat> so that's why, you know, these guys that are do a seven-year run on a Star Trek and uh, you know, Ethan or some of these characters that wear a lot of the makeups over it, and they've earned that dough. They've earned that mansion on the hill. <laughs> Whereas some of the guys, you know, hey, if you're a, if you're just you know, Dominic or someone who gets to kind of put a little powder on, I'm like, dude, I don't know if you really earned your mansion. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Because those, but it's interesting how the makeups really, if you look at the original uh, Star Trek, I don't think any of them had makeup. I mean, Spock had a little bit, you know, but um, obviously they they've with Mike Westmore and his contribution really to, to the to the stories through creating these amazing, amazing I mean, go to the the lab at Paramount with all the great stuff they have, it's just like some stuff you only they only have just to be in the background or kind of in right. the cantina kind of shots, right. those quote cantinas stuff. So. Right. But they always went all out, I mean with, with yeah. their even with their background characters. Absolutely well you know, some of the, the thing about the background is you can do it in, say, a less specific way, depending on which part of the background. Because mm-hmm. if you're in the closer background, you're going to have to be pretty much fully done up. So if you the further back, you might be able to get away with the people in the very back, just because mm-hmm. of the way camera is. It can only focus certain. Won't be able to focus on that whole depth of field. So, but for most of it, yeah, they go through it and they go through the same thing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And then, then of course, they had the great. I mean. The girls always look good, the body suits. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Well, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Lee. We know we certainly enjoyed it, and I would love to meet this guy again. Yes, me too. Absolutely. It'd be great to have on, and we wish him We wish him a lot of success in this acting industry as yeah. the uh, He's just another actor just kind of struggling through the industry, and it's in, really in, cool. In his trouble economy. But, uh, yeah, yep, like many of us are, Miles, yeah, right? Yeah. Let's move into our Sci-Fi 5 and 5, and then we're going to wrap up the show. Our good friend from the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV podcast, Kevin Batchelder, who we, you already heard in the show, is bringing us our Sci-Fi 5 at 5, and he's bringing us his top five genre shows this season. So listen to it. Let us know if you agree with it. We'll comment on maybe what we think about that Sci-Fi 5 and 5 at the end because he wants a response to it. But we would welcome your response as well. So, And you can obviously, I mean, let me just say this at, at the front end. You can send your Sci-Fi 5 and 5 as an MP3 file to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast at gmail.com or call us at one 508 All right, let's listen to the Sci-Fi 5 in Hey, Scott and Miles and my fellow Sci-Fi Diner listeners. This is Kevin Batchelder from the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV podcast. Uh, I got an inspiration for a uh, Sci-Fi 5 and 5, if you will, and I'm very interested in hearing Scott and Miles' answer to this question, too. But uh, I wanted to talk about where I'm at as far as my top five TV shows for this season. I'm looking back through anything that's aired since September. So some shows are no longer on the air, like Dollhouse and some... Uh, I've only had a few episodes, and I know we're a little premature because we still have, you know, many of them have four or five more episodes to go, so this could certainly change, but I just love sci-fi TV too much not to do this every now and then, so I'm going to give you my top five, and I'm going to give them to you ranking from five to one, and this obviously could change by next week or the week after as we get new episodes on some of these, but I figured it would just be fun, so I'd bring it out here, 
And keep in mind that my idea of sci-fi is a very broad spectrum. I include fantasy, horror, things like that. I, I categorize all those under sci-fi myself. So at number five, I would say for me uh, is Chuck. That is just a wonderful show, incredibly funny. And this season really, the third one, really brought things up quite a bit as far as plot lines and characters and storylines. It just is a ton of fun every week. So that, that became a can't-miss show for me. Number four, I would say, is Fringe. I know you folks watch it and talk about it, and Scott does his Fringe Quote of the Week for uh, Wayne over at the Fringe Casting. Excellent, as you know, lots of great character development and some great uh, portrayals by the actors in that series. Number three for me would be Supernatural. I know it's not something I believe, I don't think you folks are watching it yet, but wonderful storylines this season. Just where the show used to be to where it is now, it's amazing. It's just grown each year. And it's got some wonderful writing and some characters you really can identify and care about. So very well done there. Number two for me in the fantasy genre is Legend of the Seeker. Uh, as I've mentioned before, I think in previous comments, excellent show, uh, fantasy genre, based on the Terry Goodkind Sword of Truth books. So there's some great myth arc stuff there. Uh, fun, but also serious, especially in this, the second season. They've really brought in some major story parts and along with all the uh, sword play and, and some serious character items happening, is, there's just a great relationship between the leads, uh, Richard and Kalen. Uh, so there's some great love aspects, but still done wonderfully within the genre. And number one, I would have to say, is Lost. While the first couple of seasons of this show had almost no sci-fi or genre elements, it was mainly just drama, it's been amazing the last few seasons with the sci-fi elements that have come in to hook on to some characters uh, I certainly already carried about and many others did. And, and they've done a wonderful job of storytelling and just surprising us year after year with some new elements. So really, really looking to the finale of that one to see where that goes. That's certainly a show I see myself rewatching because there have been breadcrumbs for storylines and interconnections falling in this show for years. And I, I'm sure I've missed some of them. Um, so there's my list, many other decent shows, things like Dollhouse that might have come close. Haven't been as much of a fan of some of the other shows. I know you folks love uh, SGU and Caprica. Uh, Flash Forward just aren't doing it quite as much as these ones are for me. So there's my five in five. Well, thanks, Kevin Batchelder, for sending us that sci-fi five in five. And that is a really good list, Miles, huh? Yes. Uh, uh, at least we, we have Fringe in common. Yes, and uh, I would say, uh, well, I have Chuck in common with him. I know that you haven't watched it. Mm -hmm. You know, here's the thing. You know, he said he has a quite a broad definition of sci-fi. I think we need to clarify that that is true, sure. and that when you and I talk about sci-fi, what well, we might say, oh yeah, Lord of the Rings is sci-fi because you, you like Lord of the Rings. I did like Lord of the Rings, yes, but overall, when we talk sci-fi, we're really talking about what we would consider science fiction, mm -hmm. um, uh, devoid of fantasy and maybe horror. Right, my my sci-fi tastes tend to go towards like space dramas and operas, something maybe with a comic book superhero feel to it. Uh, I do enjoy some of the fantasy stuff, but um, that's kind of where most of my leanings are. Yeah, I mean, and then there's there are shows that kind of kind of skirt that line, but I think that we tend overall on the TV shows we're watching tend to go toward the more. The, the more uh, space-driven ones. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, But then there's Flash Forward that we put in that, and there's nothing really space-like about it, but there is maybe time travel, I guess you could argue. Kind of, yeah. Kind of a mm -hmm. time travel, but there is a fantasy element to that. I, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that it's very important that we kind of establish that. 
You know, you have not been watching Chuck, as you know. I just started the third season of Chuck, mm-hmm. and third season, I agree with Kevin, is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I'm only three episodes in, uh, but well worth it. And Miles, this is a show I think you'll want to go back and catch before it gets too long, because some of the references will begin to date themselves. But well worth it. Well mm-hmm. done, show. Um, although our local newspaper kind of ripped it. Uh, this uh, week, uh, whatever. Nothing. Yeah, it does. Doesn't mean anything for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fringe, of course, we are loving Fringe. No questions there. We right. agree with him. Uh, I think for me, Fringe would have been probably my number one if I were to give my sci-fi five and five. That's a hard one. Um, it's it, it maybe toss between that one for me and maybe SGU. Um, oh, as far I, as the writing goes, I think Fringe is probably you know probably stronger right now than most of the ones. I don't even there. argue the characters are stronger. Well, 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 yeah. I mean, you have Walter Bishop, very interesting character. I mean, uh, Peter being very complex, and oh mm-hmm. man, what an episode this past week! What? what oh my gosh! I mean, yeah. uh, you just can't. You just can't. Argue. So, it's, yeah, I, I, I think that this show probably for me would be my number one, and for you, there's a toss up there. SGU would be up there for me. I'm not sure that SGU would be. And, and second place over me. I might put it like in third or fourth. Maybe mm-hmm. some other shows that I throw into there. As far as Supernatural goes, I am interested in it, uh, primarily because we interview, had a chance to interview, uh, Alistair. You know, uh, right. you know, Christopher Heyerdahl from, from the show, who I did some parts and bit parts in that show. And, uh, but again, time is of the essence here. Sure. And it's the reason that, I did not, I have not been watching Supernatural and why I have not watched Legend of the Seeker, which was his number two. And I guess it's my excuse for Lost. Um, it was just a show I never got into at the beginning. And by the time I said, oh, I might get into it. We're now about five seasons and I have a lot of catching up to do. Something to put on your DVD disc. Well, you know, one of the things that Kevin said that kind of gave me a little bit of hope, he said he looks forward to rewatching the shows. Uh, because some of the plots, he's sure there's some stuff he missed. And that suggests that maybe one of the things about Lost that may make it be around for a little bit is its rewatchability. Hmm. And uh, the fact that there is maybe a lot of plot lines and stuff that you may miss the first time watching it. Oh, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, definitely well done. And, uh, and, uh, and I, uh, you know, JJ Abrams, you can't go wrong. Come we're, we're all oh, fans yeah. of him. You know, we have two J.J. Abrams shows on the list with, you know, Fringe and, and, and Lost. Right. So there's something to be said for that as well. Mm-hmm. And of course, him playing into the Star Trek universe is very, very cool. Yeah. Kevin, thank you for your contribution. Yep. Yep. And just a little bit of trivia. Uh, Greg Grunberg, is that the way you say his name? The guy that plays, um, uh, guy from Heroes, uh, Matt Parkman. Right. From Heroes was in this last week's episode of Fringe. Did you see him? Did you see him? I didn't. I you did. What you got to do is got to go back and watch where they're matching up the solar flares and the t- and the TV kind of fuzzes out. Oh, they, had, they have clips of him in there. And guess what TV show he's in? Lost. Interesting. It's an outtake from Lost. Uh, one of the deleted scenes they used, J.D. Abrams used in one of the fuzzed clips there. I learned that from Wayne and Dan. Whoa. So, well worth checking out. I actually didn't go back and rewatch it, but I kind of want to do that now. They will have to do that after the show. Yeah, we'll have to find uh, yeah, we'll have to. Let's wrap up the show, Miles, so we can go do that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, if you are interested in finding out more about the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, please visit us on the web at scifidinerpodcast.com. You can always uh, find lots of information there, much more to the show notes. We have alien news that we didn't even post in today's show, uh, but will be in the show notes. Uh, there's 
photos, there's videos. I still got to get the videos of Farpoint up, and I just haven't done I'm just slacking. haven't had the time to do that. Um, but we got that up. There's Twitter up there. Miles, you're on Twitter. Tell us I'm where you're at again. I am Son of Wharf at Twitter. Yeah, yes. and not only that, I'm but on Trek Space and mm-hmm. everywhere else. We, of course, have a Facebook fan page. Please come join our Facebook fan page. We need just a couple more listeners to get right. our own URLs. So we're excited about that. We've been hanging around at about 72, and we're very happy for those of you that are dedicated and joined us there on the Facebook fan page, but hey, we'd love to have a few more of you joining us Absolutely. to help us out. Uh, you can always come leave your review on iTunes. We don't often plug this, but reviews on iTunes get us seen just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And uh, very, very, very cool. We would love to have your plug there. What else am I missing, Miles? I think you covered it. I am covering everything that needs to be covered. Mm-hmm. I believe that's it. Until then, good night and good luck. We will see ya. Romance. Romance. Romance.